0: Life Audio.
1: Hope in the midst of our trauma. We've all been through traumatic events and traumatic experiences. We've talked about that even on this show in the recent past. All of us know what it is to deal with very difficult things in our lives. The question is what do we hang on to in the midst of that trauma, in the midst of the brokenness, the trials, the troubles, <laughs> the tribulations that we must live through? What do we hang on to? Where is the hope? My guest today helps us unpack that and so much more in this episode of The March or Die Show. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410.
0: Thanks, John.
1: You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800 497 4410. Advertisement
0: sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Marcher Die Show. Appreciate you joining me and looking forward to a fantastic conversation. Uh, my guest today is excellent. You don't want to miss this interview. We'll get to it in just a second. But before we do, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do that. I don't ask a lot, but I do ask you, if you are listening, take just a moment right now to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, whatever that is, make sure you're subscribed because when you subscribe... These episodes are pushed directly to you, and I want to make sure that you have access, not only access to listen, but that they are pushed to you directly as they come out. Every Wednesday, I release a new episode, and I'd love to share that with you. Make sure that you have that. And then once you have subscribed, please do me a favor, share this content out with others. Uh, You know folks who would love to listen to a podcast just like this one. We talk about this uh, a little bit the amount of information that is available uh, so much media is available everyone's listening to what they're listening to but i do my very best to provide meaningful conversations with guests like our guest today who can help us navigate the issues of life help us to understand how to move forward When it would be easier to stay where we are and die. And I'd love to share this content with you and with others. Uh, Please share that out. That would be fantastic. So subscribe and then share this with someone in your life that needs to hear conversations like this. Uh, I am blessed in my life to have met so many wonderful people, to be connected to great people. And recently I had another friend connect me to the person that we will talk to today, Dr. Jason Peters. Uh, Jason is uh, so many things. He's been in ministry for a very long time. And much of that ministry life, his ministry experience was spent as a chaplain in the United States Air Force. Since then, continued in ministry. Uh, He has a personal connection, relationship with trauma, things that he experienced in his service to our country. Working through that personally, working through that with his family, and also helping others work through that. This is a wonderful conversation that has uh, so much here. I have these conversations like this one. And uh, I could go on uh, continuing to ask questions and diving deeper. Um, We don't. I'm sure we'll have another conversation. He'll come back on. But this is an interview that you do not want to miss. Please enjoy, appreciate, and I hope find great value in this conversation with my guest, Dr. Jason Peters. Jason, thanks for joining me.
0: really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be with you today and all your guests around the –
1: or your listeners around the world – Around the world, this <laughs> global podcast that we have here, it's Absolutely. going to be amazing. Uh, man, there's a there's an awful lot I want to talk to you about. And I had mentioned uh, in our correspondence that your life is, is very interesting. You've had a lot of really interesting things happen and things that you've been a part of. Um, and, and we'll get into all of that, but let's just start with, with your story. Talk about um, particularly your faith story. Um, maybe some of your background, and we've talked about that, but it it is fascinating when one considers how they got to where they are (laughs) and the pieces that God put in place to get us there. So uh, maybe talk about that for a little bit, and then we'll kind of move from there.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Well, I was born at a very young age, I was really young and uh it's a great start yes. man. Um, that's good. <laughs> so I was born in you're Denver, starting in the Colorado. right place. <laughs> yeah. I was born in Denver, Colorado, uh, St. Joseph's Hospital and uh, so I'm a Colorado native even though we moved uh, pretty quickly after that. And I ended up in California and uh, I know you're a California yeah. guy as well. So yeah. I grew up in Sacramento, finished up high school, went all the way across the country to school in Florida. And uh, where I yep. met my wife, Kimberly, and we've been married now for 28 years. Uh, God's, man, God's been so good to us. Five kids, and awesome. uh, they're like 25 down to down to 14. And then we have a grandson. That's pretty exciting. Uh, little Owen was just born not long ago. Yeah. So, yeah, you've been really cool with the family. God's been really gracious to us. Um, when I was. In school, I wanted to be a pilot. Thought that'd be really cool, and I was especially interested in using my my skills as a pilot uh, to help with like missions work and humanitarian work. I thought that'd be really cool to you go know, flying around the jungle and you know delivering yeah. people and medical stuff and and just helping missionaries and that kind of stuff. So I ended up studying that, um, and then I found out that I was too poor to afford. Flight school. Um so too, too
1: I, to be a missionary. That's really bad when you're too poor to be a missionary. <laughs> That's really bad.
0: Yeah, I couldn't um uh, man, I couldn't afford to play for the pay for the flight lessons. And yeah. uh so I ended up just switching into counseling. Thought that would be uh a close second and uh, began sure. studying uh, Christian counseling and then went on to studying grad school and finally ended up as a chaplain in the uh-huh. air force. Cause I was like, "Well, yeah. oh, I can't be a pilot. At least I can hang yeah. around with pilots. Right. Uh, so <laughs> had a great time hanging out with those guys. So I did that for 20 years and Oh my goodness, man, as you know, the military will stretch you. It'll put yeah. you in positions that you never imagined you'd find yourself in And so uh, had just an incredible experience as an Air Force chaplain, had many deployments, four deployments, um, and just on the front lines, man, in Iraq, 2006, we talked a little bit about your time breaking the berm between uh, Kuwait and Iraq. Uh, So I showed up a few years later, right around the time that the surge was happening. And, you know, it's interesting in my story, um, and it kind of led me to that point where I was, you know, literally picking up, you know, human remains with my bare hands kind of thing. And it was um honestly, it was kind of just fit with my my thread of uh I would say trauma, and it wasn't trauma that was happening to me, but it was trauma that I was close to, you know, kind of like secondary trauma uh really journeying with people and began it really in nineteen ninety nine uh plane crash in Kuwait where you know we had uh three fatalities and like eighty survivors on a c one thirty sitting in jump seats, and the fuselage came. There, the gear came through the fuselage, impaled three people. That was a tough one. So I responded to that, spent eight days uh, in country there counseling survivors, and then went on from there to nine eleven. I was assigned to the Pentagon on nine eleven. Uh, I was. It was interesting that morning. I was actually taking some time off. I was still home when the plane hit the uh, building, but I responded to the building. Ended up staying there till four a.m. the next morning, counseling uh, again family members, people trying to find out whether their loved one had made it or not. And then 2006, I'm in uh, Iraq. And so it's interesting how God works through, like, like I didn't know what the heck I was doing. You know how the military, like I said, they just throw you in these situations. Yeah. And you're kind of trained, but maybe not fully equipped for it. Right. But right. what I love about that, and, and I think what a lot of us who are retired or spent time in the military miss, is that sort of frontline, like point of the spear kind of impact. I mean, you can tell you're making an impact when you're counseling someone, who just saw their buddy, you know, get blown up. It's like, it's intense, man. And it's also like very, uh, I would say, healthy for us spiritually to think about life and the brevity of it and to realize that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, man. That's what scripture says. uh, So we got to hold it loosely. Anyway, that led me into uh, some humanitarian work later. Ended up, so probably for... Let's see. 2010. Yeah. So 12 years or so, I've been doing uh, humanitarian work around the world. I've worked in 49 so countries yeah. all over the place, uh, all the places that most people don't want to visit uh, <laughs> tough places like Iraq and and, yeah. I don't know, you know, Nepal and, and just some really um, tough places to, to live, um, although very interesting places to serve. Sure. So sure. I'm grateful, man. I've had an amazing ride right now. I'm leading a, a work in uh, Rwanda. And so I've been there for about five years. So it's been kind of fun. A couple of our yeah. kids have spent significant time down there. Um, yeah, it's really amazing. So that's kind of the nutshell version, I guess. Yeah, that's crazy, oh, man. There's so great. much... Faith questions, sorry. <laughs> Do you want me to comment Yeah, on I was
1: going to go back and say, you know, when did you become a Christian in all of, in all of that?
0: Yeah. Well, I grew up in a Christian family, but, you know, I love what uh, someone said one time, just because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're in a car, right? You know, I grew up in the garage, but, but really it was at the point, and this is really interesting, Jeremy, I'm glad you asked because uh, for me, there came a time where I had to own my own faith. Like it had to become mine. And I feel like every man or woman gets to that point where like you've got to own it and so for me that time came when i was 19 and i had just done a year of school of college and i was working this job in tennessee and it was it was a horribly tough job i hated it it was really challenging but in the on uh, my lunch break, I went over, and I was with a friend, and we went to this uh, cemetery because we're like, hey, let's go grab our lunch, get somewhere quiet, to have, have lunch. Yeah, so It was like a yeah. park. So we go in the cemetery, yeah. and it was so interesting. We're sitting there, and we're looking around at all the tombstones, and some of them are falling over. There's weeds everywhere, and we started talking about it. And we said, you know what? These people, they could have been so successful. In this life, but like nobody really cares. Like they're they're dead, they're gone. Nobody wouldn't even know what they did, you know. And so, interestingly, both of us at that point, we kind of got this, I would say, kind of a a milestone, like moment of awareness, where we're like, man, we want to live our life for something that counts beyond, you know, this life, like for eternity. And so, we both kind of committed our lives to God at that point, like totally. We're just like God, we're we're yours. We'll do whatever, go wherever. And, and it's really been a wild adventure since then. And I was just talking with a friend yesterday about this. Um, you know, he's like, I still feel like I'm mostly about me. And he said, I, I don't really, I can't really resonate with this idea that you talk about at being just completely at God's disposal. That's interesting. And, and it's, as you know, Jeremy, I mean, you live this way every day. This it's the only way to live, bro. I mean, it's the only thing that really will yep. give you fulfillment and purpose is being a part of a higher cause. And the military is often thought to be one of those kind of places like, oh, it can be a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Although you got to admit that army of one thing was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's but, so you know, ridiculous,
1: yes. Yeah,
0: but you know, this idea of being a part of a higher calling, but you and I both know at our ages, you know, we're 50ish. It's like, yeah. dude, that higher calling is not the highest calling. There's a much higher calling and that is related to our faith. So following Jesus for me, I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. the main thing, man.
1: It's crazy. I I think that particularly people who grow up in Christian homes and Christian families uh, have to go through this experience. I know I did. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in a Christian home. I accepted Christ. I, I was just talking about this yesterday. I accepted Christ when I was, I think, five years old. And I remember it as clear as if it were yesterday. And I know that's when I became a Christian. That's when I gave my life to Christ. But I was probably 25 before I finally had that experience where I went, man, it's all about him. And and I, I I can talk, you know, about the place. It was, it was in Iraq and we had come through this crazy firefight. And on the other side of it, I had this overwhelming thought, similar to what you just mentioned, this, this sovereignty of God, God is sovereign and I'm not, Mm -hmm. and it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like the enemy doesn't care who I am. No one cares where I came from or what uniform I'm wearing. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. God is sovereign. I'm not, I need to control what I can control, but I need to live for him. And that, For me it was a turning point, and it's it, it's crazy you can accept Christ and become a Christian, and certainly that's a truth, but there has to be a moment where you volitionally mm-hmm. say, God, whatever you want to do with me, that's what I'm gonna do. And and yeah. a lot of people I think they get the salvation thing figured out maybe, but they never get to that point where they say, God, take me and use me the way that you want to. And I I, I don't understand that. That's overwhelming to me to even think about. Yeah. Well, wow, that's a powerful story, man. And it changes the trajectory of your whole life because, you
0: know, it you don't change everything. value. Your, your culture then or your view of culture is so different from yeah. like our worldly culture, like your kind of counterculture. Because everything the world values, yeah. like money, you know, um, a, yeah. uh, Thomas Aquinas said there's four idols that basically we all wrestle with. It's It's like money, power, pleasure, and honor or like fame. Oh. And I was like, you know what? That dude lived hundreds of years ago, but it's exactly the same stuff that the world values. And when you're following Jesus wholeheartedly, like none of that stuff matters as much. You know what I mean? I mean, sure, we'd all like more money, more pleasure, more fame, whatever. But it's not the driving force. It really is something
1: bigger. It's something eternal. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you, you, you kind of said, you know, I wanted to be a pilot. I couldn't be a pilot. I became a chaplain. But there had to have been a process of thought in that. Yeah what did, what did that look like, that decision to say, I'm going to go into the military, first of all, and I'm not only going to go into the military, but go in as a chaplain? Yeah, that's a great question, man. My poor wife, she was blown away because <laughs> we were already married at the time, yeah. and she's from Wisconsin. I don't know if you know anything about Wisconsin, but they don't have any military influence in Wisconsin, hardly. Yeah. That's I just did a conference in Wisconsin last weekend. First time yeah. I've ever been there. And I met some veterans there, but that is, there's completely zero context for the military. I know, I know, it's so
0: funny. So that's where she was from. And uh, so we got married and I'm in grad school studying to be in ministry generally. And I went to a conference and I saw a chaplain and I was like, when I was a kid, we knew this chaplain. His name was, his nickname was Smokey. It was Arnold Stover, <laughs> Smokey Stover. So Smokey Stover was this old chaplain guy I knew. And I remember when I was a kid, I thought, man, that's cool, because my dad was a Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. I was interested in doing something for ministry, you know, somehow. But, but I couldn't really figure out how to bring him together. And then I met the Smokey Stover guy. And I remember as a kid, he was like, well, you got to go to get a master's degree and you got to do that. And I was like, no way, man. As soon as I get done with my high school, I'm going to give me a job at McDonald's. I'm going to get my car. I'll be fine. You know what I'm saying? That's what you think when you're a little kid, right? Well, then as it turned out, I was already studying at that point for my master's degree. And I was like, wow, I could actually do this. So I came back to my wife and I was like, hey sweetheart, um, I think I want to be a chaplain. And she's like, a, a, a what? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what chaplain was. And so that's what started it. Um, so then I, I jumped right into the Air Force. Of course, the Air Force was um, the, uh, my dad had been in the Army, so he obviously yeah. encouraged me to go in the Air Force. Right, uh, right. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's kind of how it started.
1: Um, you have gotten an education in trauma. You mm-hmm. have a degree in um, in counseling yeah. trauma, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yes. And, and it's interesting that you do a lot of people get degrees in things they never actually use or they use them in a very, um, you know, kind of therapeutic mm-hmm. or clinical environment. And that has not been your experience at all in your life. Um, I, I've done episodes on trauma. I've talked about trauma. But one thing that I think is really hard for people to get their minds around is what you defined or what you talked about in your own trauma, was being near things that had happened, being around things that had happened. I personally believe that combat chaplains, chaplains who've been in combat, mm-hmm. been around combat, who have you know dealt with the things that you dealt with, um, are an underserved and a completely misunderstood group of folks because they're the chaplain. Mm-hmm. Um, they're supposed to take a higher view of all of this. What's happening probably shouldn't impact them. And they have nowhere to go to deal with this trauma. And, yeah. and a lot of the trauma that chaplains deal with is clinically diagnosable It's exposure to death. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that as a chaplain, not only that experience personally, but how you, how you dealt with that, how you processed that as yeah. a chaplain?
0: Yeah, it's great. That's a, it's very insightful, Jeremy, because you, you've obviously worked with a lot of vets and a lot of chaplains. And you know how challenging it is when you're sort yeah. of the, uh, almost like a lot of chaplains are viewed and maybe your listeners remember this. It's kind of like a good luck charm. I remember in the air. Yeah, right, right, like, right, right. Hey, I'm glad you're flying with us today, chaplain, because we're yeah. going to be safe You know, that right. kind of thing. <laughs> and right. I was like, I don't know if it works that way, but <laughs> thanks for the work. Chaplains weapon. go down too. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, but it's a very serious question and, I, and I'm glad you asked. Let me explain uh, a little bit of my my view on that. So, when, and I'll just use my own experience. So when I landed in Iraq in 2006, uh, within 24 hours, four soldiers were killed. I was assigned to the 101st Airborne, uh, and it was, you know, it was just a you know, fob, and it was just hot and heavy, a lot of stuff going on. And all of a sudden, um, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm in the hospital. Chaplains are the only ones that bridge the gap, too, which is very yeah. interesting. So, like, doctors, yeah. they, like, try to save lives. So they're in the hospital, like the the MASH kind of, you know, feel yeah. And then, yeah. um, and then you have services or morticians who kind of take care of the processing bodies, but chaplains do both. It was weird. So I was like in the hospital as these soldiers are dying. Some of them, some are already dead, uh, but as some are dying and then I'm in the mortuary, like going through their personal effects and, you know, just, and, and it's just a very interesting experience. So I, I felt like as a chaplain, uh, I had two options. I could either stand there and like pray, which is good. I'm all about prayer. I pray all the time. Yeah. Uh, But I also felt like uh, to be really a part of that community, I needed to be a part of the team. So I talked to the head mortician. I'm like, hey, man, just put me to use. I'm not going to just stand here. I can pray while I'm working. And so I jumped in. I was part of the mortuary team. And so, again, just a lot of exposure to stuff that you don't normally see. And that's probably the main thing about trauma, which I'm sure you've heard this before. But it's like people are having what really is a normal reaction to something that's completely abnormal. Correct. Like if you, you know, I remember – I don't want to go into the gory details, but just seeing sites and things that like you, you know, you just would never see. Uh, I talked to uh, docs in combat that said, I'm seeing in the deployment what I didn't see for 20 years in the emergency room. Right, right, right. You know? So it's just a lot of exposure to stuff. And here's the interesting thing. When I came back, I loved what you said about not having anyone to talk to. Because when I came back, there were all these indicators that I was kind of jacked up from it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I shaved my head, like I, I always, you know, have have hair and stuff and I got, I just shaved my head coming back and I was just kind of withdrawn emotionally. I was very compartmentalized and I I became an extreme minimalist at one point, which was very Mm -hmm. interesting. I wore the same clothes every single day, which by the way, that's an interesting, uh, common reaction to, uh, traumatic stress exposure is that you will- sort of control what you can, you know, you can't control right. everything, right. but you control what right. you can, which could be your wardrobe or it could be your yeah. living environment. I mean, my kids at that point, mm-hmm. they're like, don't put anything on dad's desk or anything. He'll get upset <laughs> because you know, that's like his space I and mean, right. that's the way he wants it. Anyway, so one of, uh, it was interesting, one of the mental health providers was like, uh, we think this guy needs some, some mental health follow-up. So they called me, and this is actually in my records, which led later to a PTSD uh, diagnosis, by the way, by the VA. Because in my records, are like, this guy needs to talk to somebody. But when we reached out to him and tried to get him to come and talk to us, he basically said, no, I'll just talk to my chaplain buddies. Because, you know, they, I work with chaplains. It's fine. But as you know, it's a different dynamic than when you're hanging out with your friends and talking yeah. about stuff. Or when you're going to some provider who actually knows probably a lot more about what they're talking about. So for me, that was kind of my journey. Uh, and honestly, it's been a very healthy Process to go through. So, I've done a lot of therapy. I've done EMDR. I've done stuff to just try to kind of talk through it, work through it, process it. And honestly, um, I think I'm a better man because of it. I think I cling, uh, I would say, less and less to things of this world and this life. I kind of live every day knowing that it could be my last. And I love that kind of approach. It's like an adventure of faith. You know, it's like, God, you've got me here for now. I don't know what tomorrow looks like, yeah. um, but I just want to live well today. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, for me, it's been a really good journey,
1: but it's taken a long time. I mean, this was like 15 years ago I was going through yeah. this, you know. How do you, um, how do you talk about the connection between faith and more clinical or therapeutic approaches to trauma? Uh, a lot of people would put those in two separate boxes. In fact, some. Uh, particularly on the Christian side, it happens on the clinical side as well, but say this is completely separate. You can do one or the other. The two don't have a connection. How how do you work through that? Yeah, man, Jeremy, you're you're blowing me away, man. You're so insightful on this stuff. And you've obviously- (laughs) I've spent a lot of time talking about this, yes.
0: (laughs) You're obviously an expert at this. Okay, you've you've hit the nail on the head. There's really two different approaches. Uh, I would say this, there are two different outcomes. You know, each of those camps is looking for a different outcome probably. right. But when it comes to diagnosis, I think that there's a lot in common. So I would say this generally, all truth is God's truth. So like right. if you have like, you know, uh, gangrene, and you go to see the doctor, like they, they can diagnose you with gangrene. Like they know what the problem is and it's scientific, it's legit. Obviously, when it comes to mental health related kind of topics, it's not that clear cut. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do a, a little biological test on it or something, sure. In, in sure. a lab or something to figure it out. However, I think that there are symptoms that are just obvious, like those things I just talked about. Like I was acting, I was meeting all the boxes for someone who had PTSD. And so now here's the difference though, and this is so important. The question is how do you move beyond it? You know, how do you get out of that that funk? And so for me, it's funny. I would say this, almost all the therapy I've done, I hope my therapists aren't listening to this, but (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy, I hate to say it, but like almost all therapy I've done it's been like, eat the fish and spit out the bones. Like I'll listen to what they say. And then I'll compare it to like scripture and like what God's view on it is. Mm. And then I'll kind of like disregard anything that doesn't, doesn't fit. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. And so I ended up sort of like taking what I could and just disregarding the rest. And I would say this, um, it's been interesting. God's used me. And I would say to any Christian out there, who's going into therapy, don't, don't view yourself as a victim or even just as a patient view yourself as an emissary of God in that space. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you may say I'm coming to get help, but you know what? Uh, You've got a lot of perspective and, and, and honestly, uh, the Holy spirit is living with you within you and can work through you in powerful ways. So, uh, some of my therapy experiences, I've ended up being more of a minister to them than maybe they yeah. were, to me. but I feel like God works through all that stuff. And, uh, so I would say in general, to answer your question that yes, diagnosis, I think is, is pretty accurate, uh, through secular therapy, but when it comes to the resolution, um, honestly, man, it, it's a different approach. We're not, we're not like trying to fix ourselves. I would say this yeah. as a Christian, uh, my only hope is in uh, Jesus Christ and that's where my that's where my hope and that's where my that's identity is. And so yeah. that's the grid that I look through for everything. You know, I'm not looking through it like, well, let me uh,
1: analyze the psychological. Right, no, right, like, right. What is God doing in this somehow? So, that's how yeah, I would see it. That's good. I, I was talking about this with someone the other day, and they were asking me a similar question. Um, particularly as it relates to the work that we do with veterans, is how do you how do you deal with that? And the way I've always explained it, and it makes sense to me, is. A clinician will start with therapeutics, and they'll say, if faith and spirituality helps somewhere down the line, we'll include that. Mm-hmm. Whereas a Christian would flip that upside down and yes. say, we start with the, the, the spiritual foundation, the relationship with God. And then if clinical you know elements, whether it be medication or something else, or therapies help somewhere along the line, yeah. we'll include that. And yeah. to, to that's me, the that's the, the simplest way to look at it, but understanding that both are helpful – and I think if you dismiss, as a Christian particularly, anything clinical, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. And and, and a lot of people have put themselves in that position, like, why am I not getting help? Well, yeah. there are actual people who are professionals and understand how to deal with some of these things. That's not to take anything away from the healing power of, you know, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And But there are biological, chemical, organic issues that you also need to address and deal with.
0: Yeah. It's a good point,
1: Jeremy. Can I add one thing uh, real
0: quick while you're talking? I was just thinking about another angle on this. Um, So you mentioned earlier the sovereignty of God and how powerful of a concept that is. So like for me, um, do I regret things that I did that could have, you know, had impact on others in a positive or negative way? Yes, of course. We live our lives that way. I mean, there's always things, well, I should have done it that way, or maybe I could have avoided that. But let me just say this. I firmly believe that God's economy, in his economy, nothing's wasted. Everything right. is used for right. good. I mean, that's what Romans 8, 28, 29 say. It's like he, there is a plan and we're a part of it somehow. And I have a buddy, he's a non non-believer. He's Jewish. And he told me the other day, he's like, I wish it must be so comforting to believe like you believe. Cause he said, I can't, I can't do that. But he said, I, I can really see how it, it changes your whole outlook. And I'm like, man, I don't know how I could live without belief you know what I'm right. saying? Like, How can right. I cope with that? Because for me, what I'm saying is like, I, do I believe that God wanted four soldiers to, to die, you know, 24 hours after? No, it's not about me. It's not like he wanted that. But the point is he somehow was superintending that. And now I've been able to use my own experiences to help so many people over the years. I know you can say the same thing. It's like in his economy,
1: even our really bad choices, somehow he can turn into good. Yeah, that's right. Um, I could ask questions about that such a great point how has your family dealt with um your trauma i mean it's their trauma because you mm-hmm. are part of the family yeah. but your yeah. wife and your kids how have they dealt with that or processed that or uh, gotten help for it or, or whatever they've done how have they dealt with that well i think at first we just didn't know what was happening
0: it's yeah. like okay dad's back from deployment he's definitely different something weird's going on yeah. we can't really put our fingers on it um Thankfully, my wife is uh, has just been a huge blessing. She's a registered nurse by by training and background, and and so she's just a very compassionate, like yeah. sensitive person. <laughs> right. And she um, she's just been really gracious and patient. She's supported. Um, I would say uh, we, we tried to just be smart about some of the things like I mentioned, um, like my space, like we've just sort of evolved to the point where like, I have my space, she has her space, because we manage space differently, you know what I mean? So I'll do my thing. Um, and she really supports that. And the kids, they know there's times where, um, man, I just need to, uh, I just kind of need to unplug for a minute, you know what I mean? And, and they respect that. Um, But I will tell you this, Jeremy, this has been interesting. Um, I've gone through a journey, too, of like many, many vets of self-medication, whether it's through prescription meds, through alcohol, that kind of stuff. And my wife has been really good to be like firm in that stuff, too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, you know, I I don't really think this is a good path. Um, Right. And so, you know, I just thank God for that because I know um, it's a tough, like delicate, like walking, you know, tightrope to walk on. Um, so for example, just in regard to alcohol is a great example. My, uh, approach to alcohol, I'm kind of one of those guys that like, if I, if I drink, I'm just very mellow. just kind of like just, just right. which is so different. As you can tell, probably I'm a very high energy person. So for me to be mellow is like, <laughs> right. it's different. So my wife is funny. She's just like, you know, you're not a guy who's going to be violent or angry or whatever, but you're basically like worthless. Wait, when, when you drink. So like uh, you need yeah. to be engaged, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. honestly, through that process and several other things, like right now, like I don't drink at all, man. I just, for me, I'm like, it's just not, it's not what I want to be, you know? And it's not because I'm against drinking alcohol, yeah. but for me as a, a guy kind of working through some of this post-traumatic stuff, I'm like, you know what? It's just not a good thing for me. So I'm just, I'm just I'm not doing it. And, you know, it's been funny when you make those decisions and you grow through these experiences, it's not even honestly a temptation. Like I'll get together with buddies, they're drinking. I'm like, they're like, are you you okay? Does it bother you? I'm like, (laughs) nope, I'm okay. You know, by God's grace. So that's just one example of how we we try to like sort of, uh, I would say, uh, cope with things. But in our family, sometimes they, they watch it. They're not stupid. They're watching it all happen. So I would say uh, a word of advice would be if you are in a marriage that's, uh, you know, a healthy relationship, you could ask your spouse, like, hey, what are you seeing in me that I, you think I could kind of work on and work through this? You know, that
1: would never hurt. It's uh, it's so interesting, the family dynamic. My wife, when I came back from Iraq, we were pretty young, I think 25, 26. Uh, we had two little kids. And I transitioned out of the Marine Corps onto a church staff and I was a complete disaster. I mean, I was a mess at work. I was a mess at home. Um, And I've always told that story with this conclusion. It took me about a year to get the other side of that and start moving forward. My Mm -hmm. wife, a couple of years ago, we were speaking together Mm -hmm. and she publicly stopped me and said, it took you about 10 years to get over that. And um, that led to some other conversations and her talking about just, you know, years of her dealing with things that I didn't even realize. I mean, I I was a jerk. I knew that. And I got angry quickly. I knew that. Mm -hmm. Um, But how that impacted her and how that impacted our kids and our home and some of the things I had to learn through that process. And um, what what that's caused me to do or had caused me to do is to go back and apologize for a lot of things and and try to work work through that. Um, Did you come to a point in your journey with your family where – It it stopped being about you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Mm -hmm. but maybe it stopped being about your experience and you were able to look at them and say, maybe I've also impacted you and I need to help you with that, where that became you helping them work through that instead of just them working through it aside of you. Yeah, I would say we have some good,
0: honest conversations. It was really interesting. I have um, three kids that were still at home when I got diagnosed with PTS, and that was kind of interesting because um, it was we all talked about it and I was like hey yeah. by the way this yeah. happened and my oldest daughter yeah. at the time who's 20 now she was like hmm i knew something was going you know this like <laughs> makes sense
1: something wasn't um, right you are yeah. throwing <laughs> stuff all the
0: time just didn't seem right <laughs> yeah so i mean it was it was good because we i wanted to be honest with them cuz honestly as you know it's not like something you're really proud of like i don't sure. i feel like yeah, there's sure. still a lot of stigma sure it's yeah. so weird. Like even professionally, you know, um, I, I don't like put it on my bio, like, Oh, by the way, you know, I'm yes, <laughs> <Right. laughs> right. you know, yeah, right. um, because people I've noticed that when, when you tell them they treat you differently sometimes, you know what I mean? And you're like, Oh, that was stupid. I shouldn't have brought yeah, that bro. up. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. But with the family, I feel like, no, man, you gotta, you gotta just lay it all out there and just be like, Hey, this is what I'm struggling yeah. with. And my kids thankfully, um, they understand they've heard the stories from combat and stuff and they kind of, cause I do feel like, let me ask you this, Jeremy, have you noticed that veterans today are able to process stuff more openly than like Vietnam for veterans, sure. for example?
1: Yeah. Vietnam veterans, for sure. I would say even going back to 2003 when I was having my problems trying to readjust and whether it was identity or post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress or whatever it was, mm-hmm. no one was talking about any of that at the time. Yeah. And, and, and I've told this story and I've talked to my pastor about it since then, but I mean, I was working for a pastor that I knew loved me and loved my family, but his response to my behavior was, you need to go. <laughs> like, like yeah. you're so disruptive. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know what's happened, um, but you need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And he helped me through that. He didn't throw me out, but that was his response. And, and honestly, so yeah, even in that period of time, I think things have changed so much that now real conversations can happen. And uh, almost to where we've almost swung maybe too far the other way in in some sense. But yeah, there's definitely an openness that did not exist before for sure. Well, you know, I
0: agree with you on the uh, pendulum swing. I think, uh, you know, I don't want this to be my identity. You know, I'm not addicted. I'm not a, I don't have PTSD. You know, what I would say is it's a part of um, what I saw. I saw some tough stuff in my experience and God used it to make me the man I am today. And yeah, there's been some rocky chapters in that journey. But it w- I wouldn't be who I am without it. And you wouldn't right. either, you yeah. know? And that's honestly, good. I'm proud of the fact, and I know you are too, that we did serve and we yep. did our best. And we, I mean, dude, that's a small percentage of the entire American population yeah, who even right. takes that oath and is willing to serve. And it's like, it's something to be, uh, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it, uh, but it's yeah. also not like my identity. I
1: don't wear it on my sleeve either, you know? Yeah. Service has been a big part of your life. It's It's probably been, you know, that's how one might identify you as someone yeah. who has served throughout their adult life. Um, what motivates you at this point in your life to continue serving? You are at a place where you could find a job. I would imagine where you don't have to go to hard places and see uh, difficult or traumatic things. You don't have to serve the way that you do. I mean, there are a lot of places you could go and and serve in ministry and air quotes without being engaged in some of those things, but you continue to do that. You continue to put yourself, um, in those situations, what motivates you now to continue to do that? Well, honestly, man, I think I would get bored if
0: I wasn't doing something that's kind of intense. <laughs> right,
1: right, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like
0: I'm not the guy who wants to go like punch in and punch out and just yeah, do right. You know, I want to do something right. meaningful. And secondly, and probably more uh, spiritual sounding is and, and true, is I wanna do something that really matters. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I mean I'm not saying that every job, God works for every job. I think of I course. think we're all, yeah, of course. all to be of course reaching out, whatever we're doing, you know, we could be like whatever job. But for me, I feel like since I've got the opportunity to go and to do some really interesting, it keeps it to me, it's the pointy edge of the spear. Like I'm serving uh, people, you know, by God's grace now that like, man, they live in mud huts, no running water, no toilet. Kids are, I mean, I literally had a girl just recently, we found out in our school that, that um, her mother was like, had to make this decision. Do I feed my kid or do I sell her for sex? Because like- He's going to, it's going to suck either way, but I got to do one or the other, you know? And so those are really tough things. So to be able to come in and kind of help that and encourage exactly. that, we relocated them because she was in a really bad like neighborhood anyway. So those are kind of things that are really meaningful. I feel like, and honestly, here's the main thing, Jeremy, it's all about eternal perspective, man. I want to be like putting all my investment yep. in eternity. And I, and I really mean that now I obviously I can't do it 24 seven. Like sure, I still have all my selfishness. And that's why right. I have to say, I love the, that saying, preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's what I have to do. I have to literally wake up, okay, all right, Lord. Whew, yesterday was not great. Um, today, please right. uh, thank right. you for your grace and please guide me, help me to do what you want me to do and to bear eternal fruit. You know, Second Corinthians 5... Is one of my favorite passages. It literally says, well, verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, you know, Everything that we see doesn't matter. But then you go a little further and it says, and we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or evil. And so I look to that day and I'm like, I don't want to have this like, well, God, look at all the stuff you know that the world valued. Look at, I had this car, I had this house and I had this position. I don't want to look at that because God doesn't care about that. He wants to say like, okay, well, how many people did you actually serve and touch? And honestly, each one of us, no matter what we're doing, has an opportunity to just see the image of God in every person we meet. I mean, dude, I'm blown away how people like live their life without even recognizing. Right. Yeah, right. Isn't that horrible? I mean, you'll be at a restaurant and someone's like treating the uh, server like like, worthless, you know? And so anyway, I just, I get excited about just seeing the image of God in people and
1: encouraging them and just trying to bear spiritual fruit yeah that's great. Um, so many other things we could talk about, but I'll end with this question uh, because a lot of people listening to this are people who perhaps are looking for hope, trying to find direction, trying to understand how to move forward in in spite of a, a difficult situation and the situation that you just described with that little girl and her mom i mean what a what a horrible situation but there are there are situations like that and to varying degrees in a lot of lives and a lot of people are dealing with things. They just don't understand and don't know how to navigate. Uh, You've seen this from so many different perspectives. How do you offer hope to people who are hopeless? Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. uh, Our situation is always the biggest situation in the world, right? So this could be someone who is, you know, in the situation of that mom and that little girl, it could be someone who just lost a job, someone who is struggling in a relationship but they need hope. How do you talk about that? How do you offer hope to someone who's struggling?
0: Yeah, I'll say this. I start with the fact that we're never alone. You know, I heard a story about a guy one time in solitary confinement, and he said everything mm-hmm. about that system was designed to make you think you're alone. But he said, we're, we're never alone if we have faith. You know what I mean? Like Jesus is walking with us through it. And so I want to be sort of the hands and feet and the mouth of Jesus when it comes to like being with somebody. and giving them those encouraging words and i would say that the other thing is that for me i want to live epically this is something that my wife and i came up with a few years ago and we've really embraced it for us the idea of living epically uh epic is an acrostic for eternal perspective in christ so if we live epically it means we're on an adventure of faith where we're saying you know what I don't understand. We were just having a discussion this morning at breakfast, uh, around the breakfast table with my kids. One of them was sharing a scripture. We do like these devotions and she shared the scripture. And then she's like, isn't it interesting how God knows Mm -hmm. like what we're going to do in the future before we even know. And I'm like, absolutely. And I said, but we can't claim to have that all figured out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause we started talking about all these deep theological topics. And the reality is, is that God is so much bigger than us and so beyond us. That for me, uh, to have that eternal perspective gives me hope. Because even in the midst of the worst scenario, I can be like, God, I don't understand it. and I don't like it. But I trust that you're with me and that you're working through this somehow. And I just want to be faithful to do what you want me to do. And honestly, um, to me, like I said, that's the adventure of faith. So I want to live epically. Uh, It's a crazy ride because you just never know what's around the corner. But I would say this, um, even like us chatting, you know, we met through a friend and then we chat and it's like, hey, let's do this podcast. Like we don't know right now who's listening and who might be really struggling and saying like, yeah, whatever these guys are saying, I don't believe God's with me. (laughs) Let me assure you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And you do have uh, an eternal, you will have an eternal impact. So look through that filter and see what God might be calling you to do right here, right now.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Jason, where can people follow you, um, you and your wife? Do you have a, a blog or blog, yeah. sorry, website? Yeah. <laughs> with, with a blog, but a yeah. lot of videos. Yeah. Um, where can people follow you guys and uh, learn more about the work that you do, even the work you're doing in Rwanda?
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks for asking. Um our uh like sort of landing page for all that kind of stuff is uh, teampeters.org. So dot org. Peters is our last name and and man, I'm so grateful like I said, for Kimberly, we just love ministering together. And so for us, uh, when we look at uh, our lives, we really approach it as a team. So TeamPeters.org is a great way to connect, but I'd love to, um, to, if anyone has questions like, Hey, I'm thinking about being a chaplain talk about that, or I went through some tough stuff. I'd love to just get your take on it. Hey, shoot me an email. You can find my email on
1: there and connect. And I'd love to chat. Very cool. Dr. Jason Peters. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. We'll talk again. I'm sure. Thanks, Jeremy. God bless. So thankful for folks like Jason, who have a lived experience that they can help us um, see the world a little bit differently because of what they've been through, what they've learned, and his ability to share that is uh, so fantastic. And uh, I value our friendship, the relationship, and I'm thankful that I could share some of that with you. Please go and check him out, Team Peters org he mentioned that um, that's where he and his wife uh, put a lot of content there other information about him and the work that he is also doing with the hope haven charitable trust so please check them out and uh, appreciate that thank you for watching this show thank you for listening and uh, i would encourage you to take some time to go if you have not already to life audio lifeaudio.com you'll find conversations like this and so many other great conversations with great hosts about topics that you actually care about And uh, there are a lot of things that we can go to to be entertained. And I hope that this show and the other shows on Life Audio are entertaining. (laughs) But beyond that, beyond simply being entertaining, I hope that they will also be helpful to you and you can find those there. I will end today, as I do every episode, and we covered so much ground today. uh, But you understand, as you've listened to this episode, that trauma is present in all of our lives, whether we're doing what we're supposed to, not doing what we're supposed to. Uh, People make good decisions and bad decisions, but even as we serve, as we should, uh, serving within the call on our lives, we'll experience difficult things. The question is, how do we move forward in spite of those difficult things? I put it this way, and I end the show this way every single episode every single week. When the world around you seems to be falling apart, when things are exploding, when you feel like the enemy is shooting at you, you only have two choices, You can stay where you are and die. You can decide to do that. That's a decision that you can make. Or, the better decision, you can march. Putting one foot in front of the other. Getting to a place where you can better deal with the enemy. Whatever that may be. Will you march or will you die? The choice is always yours. Thanks for listening. Look forward to talking to you next time.